Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing Elite Clubs National League, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and coming up on this week's edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, it's a Penn State women's soccer takeover. Christian Labors, the president and CEO of the ECNL, and I are joined by Erica Dombach, entering her 14th year as the head coach of Penn State. She's a former U.S. national team assistant, still involved with U.S. soccer, and she is a gem of a person. After her, I'll sit down with Sam Coffey, a transfer from Boston College, All-American, All-Big Ten, former All-ACC. She's drafted by the Portland Thorns, but she'll finish out the season with the Penn State Nittany Lions. You got it. Erica Dombach and Sam Coffey after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm your host, Dean Linky, joined again by ECNL president and CEO, Christian Lavers. For segment one of today's show, I will handle segment two as we give you a double dose of Penn State women's soccer. Later on the show, I will talk to Penn State's talented midfielder, Sam Coffey, who will play this spring season for the Nittany Lions before joining Portland of the NWSL. But first, Christian and I will spend time with one of the very best women's soccer coaches in the country. That is Penn State women's soccer head coach Erica Dombach. Before I turn it over to Christian, let me set the table with some bio info on Coach Dombach, who I have known for a long time as a television voice for the Big Ten Network. Erica is now in her 14th season at the helm of the Penn State women's soccer program, where she has led Penn State to a 219-73-20 mark through 13 seasons. This includes 13 straight NCAA tournament appearances, 10 Big Ten regular season titles, and the Nittany Lions' first ever NCAA title in 2015. She was the United Soccer Coaches National Coach of the Year that season and also in 2012, and she is a four-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. Erica also has extensive U.S. national team experience, where she was the assistant coach for the U.S. women's team during Olympic training camp in 2020, assistant coach for the U-20 women's national team from 2013 to 14, assisted the 2012 U.S. women's Olympic squad through the qualifying stage, assistant coach for the 2011 United States women's national team at the FIFA World Cup in Germany, assistant coach for the 2008 gold medal U.S. women's national team at the Beijing Olympics, and she served as head coach for the U.S. Under-17 Women's National Team from 2004 to 2007. With that, welcome Erica Dombach to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thank you for that intro, Dean, and thank you, Christian, for having me on the show. That is perfect. Christian, you are our central midfielder today. That is before we join Sam Coffey, so I'll give the ball to you. 
I appreciate it, Dean. I, I think you forgot the assistant coach of the all universe Galactico team somewhere that must have <laughs> gone into that resume. So holy cow, Erica, what a list of accomplishments. We're, we're really glad to have you. Appreciate it. Nice to be on. Talking to you here in early February with finally the college soccer season about to start, hopefully, all, all fingers crossed. Can you talk to us what it's been like over the last couple of months as you planned for a fall season, lost a fall season, looked to a spring season, how you guys have gone through that with your players and how you've managed the uncertainty through these times? It's been a haul, as as it has been for everybody, right? Filled with ups and downs, and and certainly not not all downs. Obviously, um, many disappointments with losing the fall season. But I think the the word managing that you used is so important. I think we've embraced this idea of managing the chaos. We know that the chaos isn't behind us yet, right? Um, we're excited to be heading back into into match play and and hopefully against a an opponent other than ourselves sometime here soon. But I think uh, the resilience of this group. I think most coaches would say that at this point, but I'm just blown away by these 18 to 22 year olds and what they've been able to overcome and, and actually thrive in at times as well. You're managing the collegiate athlete and we have coaches in youth soccer all over the country have been through similar challenges in terms of keeping players engaged when they couldn't train, getting them back into training safely and, and sort of the stops and starts in that. Is there anything that you've got done at Penn State that you found to be particularly helpful or, or something your players did that helped them get through this time, not just mentally and through the stress and uncertainty, but also in terms of improvement and getting some positive growth out of it as a soccer player. One of the most positive things that came out of the fall season and when obviously we didn't have a, an opponent to play against other than ourselves is the number of players at the end of the fall season in their final meeting that said to us, we learned to really love training and embracing this idea of taking your own develop your development into your own hands. And part of it was we knew it was their outlet in the day. We knew that they were in their homes or in their dorms. And so that when they did get outside and come to the training pitch, our whole design was we, we just need to have fun right now, right? We've got to set it up an environment that encourages them to spend time together, to have fun, to compete, but to keep it light, keep it fun, keep the energy high, bring the music out. And we did everything we could to make it the best part of their day, which you always want to do. But certainly that response at the end of four straight months of training to hear players say, you know, up until this point in my life, I didn't really love training. It was all about matches, but because they had grown so much, because they had grown as a group, because they had come together, they grew to really love this idea of developing themselves and really embracing this idea. And I think that's a, that's a huge win that our program took out of the fall season. And that frankly, anybody could take out of this time. That's a common theme that we've heard, whether it was when we spoke to Anson about the, you know, her, his famous quote of the player training when no one's watching, or even with Grant Hill last week talking about his young daughter and his career in terms of just falling in love with the sport, falling in love with the ball, training outside of the formal activities. How do you see players changing in that regard? I mean, you've obviously been at Penn State. You guys have been, in all measurements, probably the standard bearer of the Big Ten and women's soccer for forever. So as you've looked at players going back at the beginning of your coaching career to now, what have you seen in terms of them changing in terms of their level, their capabilities, their investment in the game? Just how do you see athletes now compared to 10 years ago? In many, many positive ways in that, I think because of the work that, that you all have done in the ECNL, I think that they embrace this idea more of, 
um, again, taking their development into their own hands, whether it's watching their own video or the video that their coaches present to them and the use of a video in general. I thought that 10 years ago, when you'd put something up on a screen, you were talking at the players. Now they have a more vested interest in understanding it's part of their own growth and development that, that they can ask questions. They need to be actively involved. And then on the flip side, watching that go into the sessions, right? Watching it translate onto the field, not only in the training sessions, but also in, in match conditions. Um, I think that's been a huge evolution for us is just what, what's happening kind of in your office to the training pitch and then to the game pitch, because you know, this idea of just rolling the ball out, there is a time and a place for that, but there's so much more from a psychological standpoint now and, and talking to professionals in every area, using things like the Calm app to work on your mind and your readiness and your um, being peaceful within yourself. So just kind of that all around person, that all around athlete, I think that that concept is growing, you know, each, each passing year. In your seat, seeing youth players come into college You've obviously coached with national teams at multiple age groups, and then you see obviously the best of Penn State moving on into the NWSL and in other places. So you see these players through multiple environments and multiple transitions. So maybe we'll take this in stages. The, the youth player coming into the college environment, the college player going into a national team environment, and then a college player moving into the NWSL environment. In those transitions, how do you help players prepare for that next step? Or once they're there, make that next step successfully in each of those very important stages? Well, the first step from the club game to the college game is making sure that their actions reflect their goals, dreams, and desires. We always use the analogy of those that come into and, and want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor, but I don't really want to go through med school, right? I want to be a great college player, but I don't really want to invest the time needed to be a great college player. Many of these players that come into this level are, are great club players, but then they come in and they're surrounded by great club players and they need to do more. Their athleticism no longer carries them. And so now do their actions reflect their words? Do their, are they a student of the game? Are they watching the game? Are they talking about it? They don't have to live, breathe it. And, and it doesn't have to be every part of who they are. But on the flip side, if, if they have these big dreams, they need to do a little bit more, right? And they've got to figure out what their little bit more is. For me, it might be speed work, right? I'm the slowest player in, in, in history. For you, it might be your technical game. And for this other person, it might be a sports psychologist. So it doesn't have to be a one size fits all, but it is this idea of finding what it is, your 2% to make you better, and then following through. In, in college, it's the consistency right now that consistency and drive and desire to be good i think players want to play right so they start out maybe they're not playing a whole lot and they want to play and so they they kick into full gear and about a month they're not playing and that dies off and and holding them accountable to that right make sure that consistency is there on the flip side going from the college game into the pro game you know there, there's a lot i think the first thing is understanding that there is college fitness and then there's professional fitness and professional fitness is a way of life Whereas in the college game, there's still, you know, we, we run to get fit. Whereas in the professional game, it's a way of life. You wake up and you, you, you organize your day around your nutrition and your recovery and your, your fitness and your training. And it's, it's your profession. And I think that's, a, that's something that we start to really work on. By the time they're seniors, we hope that they've embraced this style of life. We've embraced this idea of you need sleep, you need your eight hours, and you need to really take care of yourself in all ways if you hope to become a, a good pro. That's a really, really interesting perspective, and, and, and I appreciate that a lot. And, and if I go back then and take, again, a look at the length of your career, because it's one thing to have a great season, 
it's another thing to have a couple of great seasons, but you've strung together, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years in the NCAA tournament. You win the Big Ten almost every year. I mean, it's sort of a foregone conclusion. Penn State's going to be in first place. You know, maybe once a decade, you let somebody else have a chance at the, at the feeling. But how have your teams evolved as soccer teams in that time? If you look at the way that you trained and you played 10 years ago to now, is it similar is the way you play and the way you train and what you're trying to get done on the field similar? Is it different? How do you see the evolution of Penn State soccer? Well, first of all, I, I inherited an insanely successful program from Paul Wilkins when she left here. So my first job was to try not to screw it up here at Penn State. And I was mildly successful in those early years. And, you know, and I think as a, a program naturally transitions in, in their identity when a new coach comes in, you know, we, we had to find our way a little bit there for a while. And I think that transition period was really important for me to figure out, okay, what who is it that, what is it that we're all about? What is it that a Penn State women's soccer? We kind of built our pillars during that time. And that 2015 season was the culmination of, of that seven-year project at that point. And then from there, we've just kind of built and refined it. And now it's it's tweaking that identity. The first, it all starts with recruiting, obviously, talking to, to the ECNL coaches, making sure that we understand the character is there and the piece that fits into our program. But then once they come into the program, it's kind of embracing this idea of, of team before self. And with our, the way that I treat my leaders in our program, the way our coaching staff treats them is we're having a successful year. If by the time we get to the NCAA tournament, our captains and our leaders are the ones doing all the talking in the circle, right? If it once the coaches can remove themselves, then we've done our job as educators. We want our leaders to be leading our team in the toughest times on the field and off the field. And that's why I love this job of being a, an educator, being a teacher. Um, and if you're doing it well, you've started with them as freshmen to teach them how to build these skills. Um, and I think so much of our success as of late has come from Killing ourselves was as tough a schedule as we can in the non-conference portion, you know, having tough results and dealing with that adversity, even through the Big Ten. The Big Ten is kicking our butt now, and they are all over us, and we're taking losses left and right, but it builds us and makes us stronger. And I think that success, we've, we've been able to find success later in the season because of that adversity we're facing earlier and because we're teaching our young players how to deal with that adversity. We're here with Erica Dombach, the head coach of the Penn State women's soccer team on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And you mentioned all the talking in the circle. It happens to be coming from three kids that are under the age of four for Christian Lavers. You also have two beautiful kids, the most beautiful blue-eyed daughters I've ever seen. As we make a little pivot here, talk about uh, what it's like being a mom and a coach at a high level and how you have all the players on your team embracing your beautiful daughters. Oh, this one, this one I could take some time on because it's, uh, you know, it's probably the most near and dear to my heart is being a mom and being a coach. And that is, I never could have imagined how it could have made me such a better coach. People tell you that, you know, you hear all these things, Christian's probably in the same world and that you hear this and you go, but I can't imagine splitting my time. I need to invest solely and fully into my coaching responsibility. Um, but as it turned out, it, it is very real is that these, these players want to see you as a human being. They want to see you as a, as a member of a family, as a mom, as somebody that's going to help um, challenge them, but put your arm around them and, and be very genuine in that. And I, I have to say that I have, I didn't realize what I was missing until I had it. And I didn't realize how much room I had to grow until I've started to go through these last four years with my, with my two beautiful daughters. 
I hear you on that. I think one of the things, you know, Dean said, I've got three young boys running around in the background. And one of the things that it, it emphasized to me is this, this, this balance, and you used words before, like communication, accountability, but the balance of a real personal connection and the care for, for players versus the demand for performance and excellence and growth. And that's a really difficult balance to make. How do you do that? I mean, I like to think accountability, people talk about a lot. You know, I use the phrase accountability needs to be a verb. People need to do something with respect to it, not just talk about it. How do you balance that? Maybe being a parent helped or changed that equation a little bit. I know it did for me. How do you balance that relationship with the standards of performance that are expected at the highest level? Well, the first step that I've learned, learned to do is, um, is to listen more especially in the recruiting process, when you're, when your players say to you, these are my goals, right? What are your goals and your dreams? And not to just skip right through there. Right. And so I've, I take my notes on those. And then if they end up becoming a Penn state or we go back through those things, okay, the, these are the things that you want to do. This is where you're at. And now, you know, whether you want to call it a, an IDP, but for me, it's an intentional plan to follow through to achieve those goals. And, and at that point you can then hold them accountable, right? If it's their goal, their dreams, their desires, if you're intentional about it, it's much easier to, to hold them accountable. They know what the standard is. They know what they're working towards. If they're not holding up their end of the bargain, it's way easier to put your arm around them and, and, and kind of drag them along until they get to the point where maybe they don't want to be. And then you've got a, a different conversation to have at that point. But it's it's listening to them, right? I think as a, as a young coach, uh, I did too much talking. And now it's, all right, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm going to listen to you create a plan. And then I'm going to help you to follow through on that plan. You mentioned dreams and desires. We're continuing to see more and more women get elevated. Ironically, I'm wearing my North Carolina Courage top. I don't know what Sam's going to think of that a little bit later, but the North Carolina Courage finally added a female to their coaching staff. We continue to see women get elevated. We continue to see people of color get elevated. How important is that topic to you, Erica? I think that that's uh, in many ways, that's, uh, that's a coach's legacy as much as it is anything else, you know, and I, and that certainly extends beyond encouraging your players to become the best version of themselves or to become the best mom or doctor or future pro or coach. Um, we, we have, you know, Ann and I have been in this program a long time and the pride that we have of the players that have gone on and given back to the game in whatever level they choose, it's helping future players to, to love the game the way that we love it, you know? And I think that certainly we have something special going here with our coaching staff at Penn State. We've been together a long time because we flat out just love it. We love being with each other, got the best job in the world and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And our players see that and feel that. And then they think we just kind of kick our feet up all day. And that's what coaching is, right? It's not until they get into the into the job world and that Emma Thompson and Taylor Schramm call and say, hey, this is pretty hard. Or Maya Hayes said, hey, I gotta get I had to get up at 6 a.m. this morning. It's like, no kidding. This is this is no joke, this job. Um, but I do think that's a huge part of your coaching legacy is helping players fall in love with the game and wanting to give back. And and that may mean that you're a stay-at-home mom and you coach your daughter's team. I love that. That's all part of that coaching legacy that that hopefully um, we all take great pride in. I wanted to circle back on a comment you made about communication. One of the things, again, in last week's podcast with Grant Hill, he learned that at his time at Duke, that a team that talks together a lot on the court is intimidating. You referenced the importance of, at the end of the season, the team taking the lead on communication. And I sometimes use the phrase, at the beginning, a team is a coach's team, but if it's ever going to be successful, it needs to become the player's team. 
So how do you create that environment to empower the players to do that, to kind of get outside of themselves, have the confidence maybe to demand things from each other and to take the lead in the communication area? Well, ironically enough, um, it, it's an article by Coach K that we send, that we share pretty early in their careers. And it has to do with summer league ball when the freshmen come into Duke and they feel like they're living in a land of a different language when they're playing with their future teammates, right? They can't talk it. They can't, they can't keep up with it. And we use that article. Um, and then, and then we follow that with the phrase in our program is name command volume. So, you know, this idea of the command and the volume being loud enough, whatever the command is, we start with that right when they begin their freshman year of everything's got to have a command and, and there's volume to it. And I think all coaches do that, but it is, it is something that we are very consistent with in everything that we do. We hold them accountable, you know, to the point where they'll do push-ups or whatever, if they're playing a ball and there's no command on it. And some of it's to do it just to do it, to build the habits, right? But ultimately it's to, to build the buzz and to build the intimidation factor. As you say, this idea of name command volume came from a, a, a an activity from the from the program, which is a military group that we work with every four years that deals with discipline and deals with connecting with your teammate to your left and to your right. So we try to bring in some different practices as well and, and utilize these groups that have been so successful, such as the military with their communication, with it being as direct as it needs to be and taking out words like, yeah, and okay, and things like that that you don't need, right? But to be really, really direct with your communication. And then finally, we have a member of our staff, Carol Lowry, who's our director of operation that also deals with their performance, building kind of teamwork and structure. And she does a lot of presentations on communication and, and, and how to have difficult conversations. So we set up environments where we create environments where they are pressed to have difficult conversations. Um, and I think that that helps with it as well. I don't want to uh, make this overly serious because that's not the type of personality you have. And I remember one of the first times I got to see you coach and work with you was at an ID2 camp years and years ago, where uh, for those who don't know, it brings in the top 13, 14 year olds in a region together. And they're pretty intimidated the first time they step on the field together because they don't know each other. They know it's a high level. There's new coaches, all that new environment. And you came out, you put up your portable speaker, you put out some type of music. I forget what it was. And you were bopping around laughing and really helping them to relax and enjoy. And so talk a little bit about the importance of fun and joy and expressing yourself, take away this tactical piece, but just having fun in the game. Love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, it, it's meeting them in their space. Right. And that's, and that's where, again, trying to, for some players, it's given back to them the love of the game. Right. And whether it's just the stress of, now that there are so many youth national teams that these kids are competing on, whether it's social media, there's so much stress involved with these young players and they come into those types of environments and, and they're expecting to be stressed. Right. And there's a certain amount of, of stress that comes with it, but that doesn't mean as a coach that we've got to add to it, you know, and I think that's something we've been keeping in mind during this pandemic is, is, uh, you know, there, there's enough going on their shoulders right now. Our job right now is to kind of bring that stress off. Right. And even those that that aren't necessarily performing or that are not thriving, you got to you got to live in in this idea of we are in a global pandemic and remind ourselves over and over and kind of take take the other approach to it that maybe sometimes as a coach that are against your instincts, which is, you know, love on them a little bit right now. See if see if building their confidence instead of breaking it down will help their performance, especially right now. And I think in those environments in particular with those young players, uh, you know, we all remember being there. 
And all we wanted to do was to, was to impress a coach or have a coach smile at you. And that's, that's what we try to do. You mentioned confidence. There've been a lot of confident, talented players come through Penn state, your office right behind you, Alyssa Nair, the top goalkeeper for the U S team, Ali Krieger, Kaylee Rio, Emily Ogo, Rocky Rodriguez. The list is endless. What makes those players be so successful at the highest level, the international level? The ones that you've just named have a, have a huge love for the game. You know, I, I think it's hard to achieve there in that environment, the pro environment, everybody sees game day and the packed stadiums, maybe not now, but th that's all they see and feel being on the road with the national team. You see and feel the other side that the time away from home, um, you know, the, the missing out on the rosters over and over again, or not getting in a game day roster. There is a tremendous amount of, of hardship that, that these top level athletes go through but the general public doesn't see that and frankly doesn't want to see it, you know, but in women's soccer, there's not enough money that goes, goes along with it that, uh, that women are willing to go on for years and years. So I think for me, the players that you've just named that have been so successful, they've been able to work through some of these hardships just because they love to be around the game. They love, they love to play it. They love to train. You got to love to train because you're going to be doing that 75 to you know 85 percent of the time christian probably knows that stat somewhere in the back of your mind but um but but that's all you're going to be doing right and then you get those special friday nights and it makes it all worth it um but you got to enjoy the rest of it or else you're not going to stick around very long well it's been great to have you here so i mean we could go on and on because you, you have so much insightful comments on this process i'll ask one more question with respect to your staff because i know your staff has been together for a long time you guys obviously enjoy each other. That comes out across even on social media. How do you create a staff like that where, where you complement each other so well, where you're, you're all aligned in the message you're giving, although it's undoubtedly different in the, maybe the way. But uh, I think that's no small piece to the success at Penn yeah. State is the staff that you've created. So maybe talk a little bit about, about them. Love to. Yeah. And, and Cook, Carol Lowry, Tim Wassell, and I have been together for 10 years plus and um, a big part of it is obviously empowering your staff, um, hiring great people, but empowering them. I've got, you know, they're all the CEOs of their area. And, and that's the reality of it is, is as far as our team attacks concern, Anne's the CEO, she's in charge and, and I help her in every way that I can. Tim's our CEO of recruiting, goalkeeping, um, and, and he takes charge in everything, you know, and I'm his assistant coach. And so I think given, given those coaches responsibility, and then if you don't like the way they're doing it, and, and this is something I learned really well from Pia Sundago and I had the opportunity to work with her with the women is I didn't necessarily always do things the way that she, she wanted me to, but she found a way to always make me feel like I was running my, my area, you know, and, and really making me feel like I was a part of things that made me want to stay on board. And that's kind of my, you got to let go a little bit as a head coach, right? It might not be exactly the way you would do it, but that's probably better because you don't need four, four of you running around. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of been the key as far as I'm concerned is just empowering them and them running with their areas and feeling like they are a head coach of their area. Cause certainly all four of them could be head coaches anywhere they choose. And our final question for Erica Dombach, the head coach of the Penn State women's soccer team. As you know, it's a Penn State takeover today of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Coming up next is Sam Coffey. I was telling Kristen Labors that I think, especially with the Stanford player leaving earlier, that I think she might be the best player in the country. If you were giving the introduction to Sam Coffey, how would you do it, Erica? How do you describe Sam Coffey? I think she's pretty darn good. 
the talent speaks for itself. Sam Coffey is as talented a player as I've had the opportunity to work with in the college game. But probably the thing that stands out the most as a player is how much she is a student of the game. Her teammates make fun of her notebook and her notes and her studying the video and, and every different nuance and, and trying to, to refine it and make it perfect. And what I've loved about her here is she came to Penn State because she wanted to work on particular areas of her game that were, in her mind, weaknesses. And, and certainly going off into the program, I would agree, but she has embraced this idea of working on these areas. And she's failed over and over in some of these areas but now she's starting to grow and it's it's been a year and a half with some of these concepts but now you're starting to see her pick up on it right and she's getting closer to being ready to be a pro there's certain areas of her game that tomorrow in the pro game she would excel there's other areas that she still needs work on just like all these players but she knows it and she's humble as can be and she's got a big smile and she brings others with her um, and to me that makes her the consummate teammate and and the best representative that we could ask for of the penn state women's soccer program Eric, I can't wait to see you on the Big Ten Network screen and calling your games. Thanks for taking time to join Christian and me on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Christian. Appreciate it. And as promised, Erica Dombach, star midfielder, Sam Coffey. She will be in the running for a Mac Herman Trophy, trying to help Penn State win another Big Ten title and perhaps another national championship. Sam Coffey, after these messages. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast where Penn State has taken over the show today. Kristen Lavers joined me as we visited with Erica Dombach, the fond head coach of the Nittany Lions. Now we're joined by who I think is one of the best players in the country, Sam Coffey, an All-American midfielder at Boston College, an All-American midfielder at Penn State. By the way, she was all ACC there. She's all Big Ten. She's all everything. She was also drafted by the Portland Thorns. So when the Big Ten and NCAA season is over, she'll be joining the NWSL. With that, welcome, Sam Coffey. Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to, to be here. First off, Erica Dombach just got done gushing about your play, but also about the fact that you came here to learn more, to make it to the next level. Give your thoughts about Erica Dombach and how she's helped you do that. Oh, man, I don't think we have enough time for that. I don't know what the time limit on the podcast is, but I can't even encapsulate in words the way that coach and um, and her entire staff here at Penn State have helped me to grow. I think I felt a very distinct feeling of um, comfort at BC in many ways, and I wanted to escape that because it felt uh, safe, um, and I felt that that was a tough environment to grow in, and I can confidently say I don't think I've been comfortable a day in my life here at Penn State and to that to saying that I mean it in the in you know in a way that is just a complete compliment to the staff here to the players around me to the culture of excellence that um 
is constantly bred here. Um, so coach and, and Tim and Ann and Kara and um, so many of my teammates and, and just um, the personnel here at Penn State have helped me to grow in, in ways um, I had never expected. I mean, I think I came here with the mindset of I was going to grow as a soccer player and I ended up growing in, you know, ways that were unimaginable to me as a person, as a person of faith. Um, so I'm just so grateful for the ways that I've grown here in my time. I know you're also grateful to finally be back out on the field in a real game. This will air on February 17th. That means in three days, you'll be in Rutgers to take on Rutgers. How excited are you? Oh my gosh. We actually just had a meeting where we saw our, our schedule for, uh, for the coming weeks and seeing game day up there on like our big screen was surreal. We've just been waiting for so long, um, you know, to have something tangible like that, like a schedule. And so we're just counting down the days. I think we're at the 10-day mark right now. We remind each other every day of how far, how far away it is. And it's it's right around the corner. And we're just, we're just so excited and honestly just so grateful to have the opportunity to play. I think that's something that we might have taken for granted in the past because of how consistent a fall season was until, of course, there was a worldwide pandemic. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we're all just super, super grateful to play and just have fun. While you were waiting, Sam, big news for you and the Coffee family, a high draft pick for the Portland Thorns, always one of the very best teams in the NWSL. I know that's your dream. Talk about what it meant to hear your name called. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty surreal feeling. And it definitely happened in a way that I could not write if I had even tried. I think it was a very unexpected set of circumstances in terms of, uh, it happening over Zoom and not being with my parents. You know, we were all um, in the university mandated quarantine at the time. So I was literally in this room by myself, like, okay, I guess this is it. Like, <laughs> you know, definitely a moment I'm like, oh, well, it'll be a big banquet and I'll make a speech and I'll wear a dress. And I was, I think like in this sweatshirt and my pajamas and <laughs> um, yeah, but it was still, it was still perfect and everything that I dreamed it would be. And to be drafted by a team like Portland is like you said, just a complete dream come true. And I'm I'm just so thankful for the people who have helped me get here and yeah, as excited as I am, you know, about, about my future in Portland and about just the incredible organization that they are, um, you know, that draft did present a challenge of like, I've still got more than enough work to do here at Penn state with my teammates and we have huge aspirations. And so right now that's just completely where my focus is. Can you walk us through the communication process are you able to talk to Portland? How did you go about telling them that, hey, I'll join you, but I'm going to play one more college season? How did all that work, Sam? Yeah, so it was definitely a little complicated. I think, you know, like many other college seniors, I had expected to enter the draft being done with collegiate soccer. Um, but I guess there were <laughs> there were other plans, which is OK, and we'll make it work. But um, so I, I'm able to communicate with them and, and um, you know, it's not too excessive. We check in now and then. Um, my timeline is still a bit uncertain. That's something I'm still working on. Uh, of course we have this spring season, but I'm at the moment unsure about what the fall will hold or when I will eventually report. Um, and so really just trying to keep full transparency with, of course, my coaches here at Penn state and, and the Portland staff as well, but we're just working on building a relationship and, um, you know, just keeping in contact and, you know, me starting to get familiar with some of their styles of play and what's important to them as a club and, uh, really just laying the groundwork for, uh, a smooth transition when when the time comes for me to go there. 
Yeah, it's my understanding that some players, when their team is eliminated, and of course you could be playing all the way through carry and trying to win another college cup, I'm sure that's your expectations, but that you will have the ability, depending on your schooling, to join your pro team immediately. You mentioned the fall. Do you think you'll wait? Honestly, I have no idea. And I wish I did, but I think a lot of it will depend on how the spring goes. And, um, you know, obviously my environment here at Penn State is second to none and one that I'm constantly surrounded just by by excellence and by some of the most hardworking people I know. Um, so honestly, it's in every way just a win-win situation. And I feel so blessed to have these two environments, you know, one potentially down the road in the future that is just exceptional in every way too. So um, definitely a decision that I think will come after we see kind of what the spring looks like and I, of course, in my heart of hearts, I'm in no rush to, to leave Penn State because I just love it so much. Every step matters, including your time as a youth player. You spent limited time with an ECNL team called Match Fit Academy Jersey. Talk about your time playing in ECNL showcases and how it helped you get noticed. So before MatchFit, I had played for uh, New York Soccer Club, which is an awesome club out of New York, but definitely on the smaller side. So I was definitely an overlooked player. Um, didn't really receive a ton of opportunities from a recruitment standpoint. Um, but, you know, I'm just such a firm believer in things happening for a reason. And that definitely uh, provided me with a certain underdog kind of chip on my shoulder mentality that I, I find very useful, um, you know, today as a player too. But uh, MatchFit was awesome. You know, it helped me in so many ways in my preparation for the college game and just the, uh, the alumni of the club too, like Alana Cook and Julia Ashley, two of their, you know, the best players that they've produced as well, you know, uh, were just such role models to me when I was there. Um, and I felt that the, even the events were great in terms of exposure for um, youth national team opportunities and just the caliber of teams that you play. It was super uh, integral, I think, in my being prepared to go play at Boston College. You just use the words awesome and role models. I think I can use those words to describe your family. Your mom and dad are superstars. I'm pretty sure you have a sister that's a superstar, a brother that's a superstar. Remind everybody what they do, because for instance, your dad is a big time writer. He's written a lot of books. In fact, he wrote the book about Carly Lloyd, among other books, but uh, don't miss anything. Mom, dad, brother, sister. I don't think I could ever, ever miss anything that they do. They are, you know, like you said, awesome and my role models in every sense of the word. Um, I feel so blessed to to just have them as my support system. And I was on FaceTime with my parents throughout the whole draft. And it was, it was definitely, again, not maybe the way I had written it up in my head, but, you know, they were there for it in spirit. And uh, my family is just my, my rock and my support system. And I look up to them in every way. And, um, you know, my, like you said, my dad is kind of a legend and I feel like I, I, I learned to appreciate that more and more as I get older. Um, I studied, I, I studied and I'm continuing to study journalism here at Penn state and going into classes where, you know, he's either cited or people mention him. And I'm like, this is weird. Like <laughs> he'll come in as a guest speaker and I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. So I just sit in the back of the classroom and like hide, but, um, he is remarkable and he's done so much incredible work in the sports field and continues to do incredible work and really just tell stories that go untold. Um, and I think he's grown in, uh, in his uh, admiration of soccer, you know, through kind of my, my career and he's done Carly Lloyd's book. And I think he has some upcoming projects with Brianna Scurry, which is exciting too. So um, he's just, he's my idol and he, 
he he's an incredible writer and definitely it's definitely a blessing to have him as someone I can like send my papers to and you know get get roasted as a result in terms of the words that I spell wrong and my grammatical failings but um yeah they they are incredible my mom too worked as a sports writer she's now in the honey business which is very unique too um and like you said my sister uh, has had an awesome career so far with the athletics. She covers the Oakland days, um, and is looking to do, uh, some more awesome stuff with them. And my brother is a sportscaster for WBRE TV out of Wilkes bar, Pennsylvania. So he's not too far away. Uh, but it's very interesting that we all kind of come from the same, uh, the same branch and the apple does not fall far from the tree. We're all in- interested in sports or sports media journalism and in, in some capacity. Um, and our lives, overlap in many ways, which is, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, they're my motivation and, and I just have so much love in my heart for them. As you sit here now, there are a lot of young girls with the ECNL that we're so proud to say, listen to this podcast as the ECNL is right now, the biggest youth league in the country. It has not been easy for any of us, but we especially have an eye on young girls and boys as they deal with this pandemic and stop and go and being safe and that type of thing. Sam Coffey, any words of inspiration for young girls that want to maybe try to be the next Sam Coffey and play at an elite university like Penn State, play in the NWSL and perhaps even play on the full U.S. national team, which, by the way, I think you can also do. Thank you. I think first and foremost, in regards to the pandemic that has just presented so many profound challenges for people, especially athletes with, to your point, like the start and stop and the inconsistency of it all. And, you know, there were times throughout the fall that there were just ebbs and flows of we get our hopes up maybe for a game and then things would not work out. And my advice in that regard would just be to really stay present and just continue to focus on your growth. You know, regardless of if you have games or not, you can always, always grow. And it always presents a a new opportunity for you to improve in something, whether it's technically or tactically or from a physical standpoint, or I think for this year, most importantly for me, from a mental standpoint and just the, um, the mental side of the game, that is such a challenge in the, uh, you know, the new challenges that the pandemic has presented in that regard with, with the mental aspect of the game. So really just staying present and focusing on what you can control um, instead of the frustrations of what you can't. Um, but other than that, I think, especially to young players, my advice to them, and I think advice I give to myself all the time is just to have fun and to really just enjoy playing. And I have this picture on my, my desk here of me when I'm I think like seven years old playing uh, on one of my first club teams called the New York Patriots. And um, I'm just beaming. And I love that photo. Just, I look at it and it just reminds me that, you know, pandemic or not, NWSL, Big Ten, whatever it might be, the pressures of it, the unknowns of Corona and all the factors that I think play into competitive sports. Um, at the end of the day, I get to do what I love every day. And I get to now make a career out of that with the thorns. And I'm just so thankful. And um, I just encourage them to not ever lose sight of why and the fun of the fun of and the joy of just playing soccer and enjoying it and serving the people around them and doing it. Well, you mentioned the people around them. I'm so glad you did. And I'm so glad you shared that picture of a seven-year-old Sam Coffey beaming. I feel like when you play, you're beaming. But Sam, in your own words, 
what does it take to be a good teammate? What kind of traits do you have to be a good teammate? It's one thing to be a great player. You're a great player. What does it take to be a great teammate? That's a great question. Um, I think something that has helped me in my quest of being the best teammate I can be is one, the service piece that I kind of just mentioned to you, you know, about being a leader that can serve the people around you. Um, and in doing so, you're putting them before yourself and you are putting yourself last. Um, and, you know, by service, and this kind of goes into my second point, I think the best way to be the best teammate is to just constantly seek to make the people around you better. And I actually once had a conversation with our um, assistant coach, Ann Cook, um, who I'm sure coach talked about as well, um, who handles a lot of the attacking sides of our game and is just a legend herself, too. Um, so many legends to be coached by at a day, at a day to day rate. It's incredible. But she once told me that um, I and my teammates should evaluate the way that we play based off the way that the people around us play. And I just love that because it reminded me not only from the teammate perspective of encouragement and sportsmanship of lifting the people around you up, but also just seeking to set all the people around you up for success so that they can be the best that they can be. And that's one thing that I've found in in incredible ways here at Penn State is that the people around me just make me so much better. And I want to repay that favor and both on the field, off the field in any way that I can, and just always seeking to just help the people around me grow and encouraging them to be their best selves in the same way that they have done for me. Awesome. Let's end with this expectations and goals. How important is it for young girls, particularly uh, young girls playing in the ECNL to set expectations and have goals? And then I'm going to put a little pressure on you when you're done, wrap it up with the goals for Penn State women's soccer this year. Where are you guys headed? Yeah, I think I think goals are really important. I think you do have to be careful with them, though, because I think in some ways they can also set limits on yourself, which I don't think uh, we should ever do. Um, I'm not one to really write down the goals that I have. Of course, I know in my mind, you know, the aspirations I have and the dreams I've had since, yeah, I was that little girl in that photo. Um, and of course, those are those are great things to constantly keep you motivated and um, keep you humble, but never, ever put a limit on what you can do or, or uh, you know, to kind of dial yourself down because you think a certain goal isn't attainable or something like really just be limitless, I think is, is the ultimate advice I would give. And in terms of our Penn State goals for the season, we have every intention and goal of winning a national title. And this team is scary, scary good, as I'm sure that uh, coach, coach bragged about extensively, which you can't blame her because I'll do the same thing. But um, we want to win a national title. Of course, we want the Big Ten title too, but we aren't placing limits on ourselves. We have worked so hard through the ebbs and flows of a crazy unpredictable year and we're ready we're just ready to play we're ready to be grateful for the opportunity to play you know to be good teammates to one another and to to just have fun and and go win this thing sam coffee plain and simple i absolutely love my job because i get to commentate on special players special people just like you Thanks for making my job so wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your awesome questions. This has been great. This has indeed been great. Erica Dombach in her 14th season as the head coach of Penn State and Sam Coffey, their All-American, All-Big Ten midfielder who will head to the Portland Thorns after this soccer season. I want to remind everybody that Penn State takes on Rutgers on Saturday. Rutgers is coached by Mike O'Neill. Yes, he is also 
and ECNL coach. For Christian Labors and all the great people at the ECNL, I'm Dean Linky. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade, the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. The ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Adding to their extensive list of soccer pros, Puma recently welcomed Neymar Jr. to the Puma fam, where he is supporting the newest iteration of the future boot, Future Z. Built around an adaptive Fusion Fit Plus compression band, the Future Z provides optimal lock-in and support for movement so explosive, it will drive the opposition crazy. The eye-catching new boot integrates an innovative Z-shaped dynamic motion system outsole for multi-directional movement and traction with a thin layer of Grip Control Pro applied to the upper material for superior touch and ball control. Lock in and drive them crazy. Future Z. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.